Hello everyone, I'm Pastor Stephen, part of the pastoral team here at Cornerstone. We are continuing our series on healthy love, continuing the journey to learn about the different attributes of Christ-like love and how those can affect our own lives. Today we're going to be talking about selfless love, and there's three aspects we're going to be talking about here in a bit, and how those different aspects bring health into the areas of life that we walk through every day. Before I do, I wanted to talk to you a little bit on a personal note. My wife and I have celebrated 20 years of marriage this past month. And I, I say that not as a boast, but as a praise to the Lord, how as He has helped us develop greater attributes of healthy love and looking back into the different things we've gone through, the different struggles, and how that has, has grown and cultivated different aspects. This series has been one for me personally that has been a challenge as I've listened to different aspects of love that I know I myself need to work on. So hopefully all of us are growing together in this, this journey of having more Christ-like love in our life. I wanted to bring, uh, as we have been last couple, uh, couple messages, focusing on the passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, Paul's letter to the Corinthians. We're focusing on verses 4 through 8 today. It says, love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself, is not puffed up, does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. I want to do something a little different today to highlight this passage. I'm going to read it from the original Greek that Paul penned this passage in. I find it has its own unique sound, cadence, and poetic movement that's not always captured when translated. U paroxinite ulogizete tokakon. Ujari epiti adikia. Sinjari de tialithia. Panda stegi, panda pistevi, panda elpizi, panda ipomeni. Iagapi udepute ekpipti. We are focusing on the phrase uzitita eaftis. And that is about do not, not, do not seek, go after, pursue, demand the things of their own, of our own, right? And so I like the word pursue. I titled my message, The Pursuit of Healthy Love. And the pursuit of healthy love is about not pursuing ourselves. The unhealthy attributes, therefore, of self-pursuing is pride, the pursuit to protect one's own ego, selfishness, the pursuit of one's own desires, agenda above anything else, and lastly, avarice, the pursuit of material wealth above generosity. Conversely, the healthy expressions here would be selflessness, humility, generosity, what we will be focusing on today. In John chapter 13, verses 34, Jesus said, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another as I have loved you that you also love one another. You might ask, what does that mean? How do we do that? I really like how the Apostle Paul speaks to this, answers that question in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 through 2. And I really like the message, trend, the message paraphrase and the way it renders it seems to capture Paul's heart. He says this, watch what God does. 
and then you do it. Like children who learn proper behavior from their parents. Mostly what God does is love you. Keep company with him and learn a life of love. Observe how Christ loved us. His love was not cautious, but extravagant. He didn't love in order to get something from us, but to give everything of himself to us. Love like that. Wow, that is a tall order. And think about that through the lens of our own current culture, the year we live in, the season, the epoch we're in, where technology is everywhere. We are influenced on multiple fronts. Social media here, someone's opinion there. This is what love is here. That is what love is here. I'd be of the opinion that it is probably harder today than any day to live a life of healthy love when it seems like evolve, that love has devolved into more about accepting destructive behavior than it is about really loving right and well. Yes, in some areas, we've loved better. Our, our society has learned to love way, certain ways better, but other ways, it's gotten worse. Social media is great to connect with people, but when it becomes something about making yourself the center of your own universe, that's, that's an issue, right? That goes against selfless love. How do we do that? How do we overcome this when we're bombarded by such influences constantly? Reminds me of the scripture in Matthew chapter 19, verse 26, where, where the Lord says, with men, this is impossible. With God, all things are possible. And in context, they're talking about the, the, wealthy, the wealthy man trying to come into the kingdom of God. And, and Jesus responds to disciples, how can this happen? He's like, well, with men, it's impossible. With God, all things are possible. I feel like this is in the same realm. Pursuing healthy love is only possible by the grace of God to awaken love in us. And thank God, love is also another attribute, patience. God is patience with us. He is love. And thankfully, he gives us patience as we try to learn to grow in these different areas of love. Co-working with God is a dance, synergistic. It takes our effort along with his. He waits for us to connect with him. And it's not a lot of effort. It's more about Lord, us coming to him humbly and asking for help to love better. And then he's like, okay, let's do this dance. Let me help you, right? But he wants us to come to him and help. We're not robots where he just kind of guides us along. He wants us to be in this love, love relationship with him together to grow in these ways. So the first point is the pursuit of humble love. Step one, lay down our pride, acknowledging our need. That is the first step in humility, the the humble love the Lord wants us to express. Humility is a key that unlocks doors both in life and in the spirit. When done well, humility diffuses tensions, engenders respect. It is the seed that grows the tree of healthy success, enduring success. It brings healing to relationships. God's own humility saved us and gave us hope. My wife, didn't, my wife and I didn't get through 20 years of marriage with us holding on to our pride or forcing each other's way. We had to come to a place when we went to counseling to be humble to ask forgiveness where we need to free, bring, ask forgiveness, to allow healing to come in, to find different ways to engage that we're better, healthier, so that we can continue on strong. 
And because of that humility, that got us through the hard times, the counseling times, the argument times, the times I wanted to call a lawyer times, which I'm sure those who are in marriages who have gone to those hard places know what that means. But without humility, things break down completely. And both sides have to have that sort of humility to walk together, to compromise, to find the best way to love one another. Love and humility is not something that we simply use for our family, but it's in daily relationships. It can be expressed with the cashier at the grocery store or even the annoying telemarketer that calls. Here's the thing. All people, even the ones that are the most corrupted in life, still bear the image of God. When Christ looks at them, he sees his image in them. That image may be marred. It may be really scratched out and crossed over from all the things that person has done in their lives, the choices they've made, but still the images of God is there. And when we show deference to people, humility, this is showing love. Maybe we get cut off by someone. Maybe instead of reacting to it, you bless that person. You say, Lord, have mercy upon them. Help them be safe wherever they're trying to get to. It's a different way to do it, right? A different way to look at things. It's hard. It's not easy. But they're small choices we can make. We look at, if you look at the model of Christ, the humility of Christ himself, not only did he came from down from his throne, took on flesh, became man in that sort of humble circumstance, but when he was on earth and he was with his disciples, washing their feet before the Last Supper, he, he picture this, the Lord of all creation is getting down, taking a towel, and cleaning the dirt, the grime, the stink off the feet of his own creation. This is typically the work of a servant, but the Lord humbled himself and basically giving a model to his disciples of how they should be. That's true leadership. That's true love. He's like, this is how you love. This is how you love. I like the way C.S. Lewis um, describes the humble person. He says, do not imagine that if you meet a really humble man, he will be what most people call humble nowadays. He will not be some, he will not be a sort of greasy, smarmy person who is always telling you that, of course, he is nobody. Probably all you will think about him is that he seemed a cheerful, intelligent chap who took a real interest in what you said to him. If you do dislike him, it will be because you feel a little envious of anyone who seems to enjoy life so easily. He will not be thinking about humility. He will not be thinking about himself at all. What Lewis is describing here is a person that has nothing to prove. They have such confidence in who they are in Christ that they don't have to prove anything. Their identity, their purpose, everything is in Christ. And so... That's where their humility has come from. That's why their love, they can love and listen to another person instead of parade themselves about. That's a different kind of thing. It's, it reminds me of uh, when a celebrity, because a celebrity can be humble and very wealthy. It's not about humble circumstances. That's different. One who has humility, maybe think about a person of renown or a person that, that is very famous, sitting in coach or just kind of being with other normal people. That engenders such uh, appreciation. You look at that person like, oh, they're down to earth. That's humility. That's the kind of humility we're talking about. 
not coming across as if we're better than other people, but being selfless, being different to someone, showing respect, kindness, love, and that can be done in simple ways. And of course, this sort of change in our life doesn't happen overnight. It's not you flip a switch and you're like, oh, I'm humble now, right? No, it's about establishing healthy rhythms in our lives. Humility is a battle that begins in the mind, the psyche, the soul. Humility in action has to do with small steps that we choose to do. And I believe it starts with humility before God first above everything. Pastor Terry mentioned a few things that we can do to grow healthy love in a practical way. And this connection is tied to prayer, worship, church engagement, gathering with other Christians, being a servant to our world, and ritual. That is this consistent rhythm of connecting with God. It takes humility to engage in any of these activities, to come before God and say, first, Lord, I need you. I need help. That is what humility is. That's where it starts. And it doesn't have to start difficult. It start, what I say, and you'll hear me say this throughout this message, is like, start small and grow from there. It's the same thing with humility and humility in action. Start with prayer. And if you've never prayed before or engaged with God on that level, it can be as simple as saying the Lord's name, saying Jesus, or Jesus help me, or Jesus have mercy. And it doesn't have to be this long description of the circumstance here. And you might be going through something and you could just say, Lord Jesus, have mercy. And you're praying for that, that moment. This is little small ways we can do that. Calling out to the Lord in, the mo in those moments, show humility. It's, it, it's a way that we can put God to the test in a positive way. Because he says, taste and see the Lord is good. So maybe for those of you who are not used to that, try Try and see, and see how the Lord answers. The Lord wants you to connect with him. Relationship, and Pastor O'Dallas mentioned this in her last message. She gave the same analogy, and I kind of teased her about it. And I'm like, hey, I had the same analogy in my, in my message. But, so I'm going to do it either way. We talked about it. She talked about a plant. And I'm going to be talking about that in terms of a consistent connecting with the Lord. Connecting with the Lord is not about volume. It's about consistency. It's about the day-to-day. -day. When we connect with Him, we are able to receive what He has. So it's like if you have a plant and you water it, if you water it a little every day consistently, it's going to be healthier than if you took a gallon of water, dumped it, and just left it alone for two months. You're going to drown it, and then it's going to go dry. So if you're in, the, in likewise, the way we do that, practically speaking with the Lord is about consistency. Even if you're praying a little bit, connecting with the Lord a little bit each day, that's better than spending, spending hours and then not talking or connecting with the Lord for months. It's the same way in any relationship, really. It's no different with our relationship with the Lord. This is the way we cultivate first that connection with God, because that's where humility and love starts in. The second one for humility is Humility and reflection, self-awareness, be real with yourself, be cognizant of your weakness. Don't be afraid to look in the mirror and, and look at yourself and say, where are the things that I struggle? Where are my imperfections that I need to uh, grow in? Not that we are perfect, 
but we try to attain a place of growth. And we have to be like, okay, yes, I know I struggle here. I know a lot of times we're like, we want to put a blind eye to things just to protect our ego, but don't do that. It's harmful for us. Be self-aware. Know where you're weak at. That's okay. Just to be aware of it helps. So you know kind of the things that you need to be careful of in different circumstances. The other one is self-reflection. Have thoughtful reflections about your intentions throughout the day. As you're going through the day, maybe you made certain uh, reactions to things that maybe weren't the best and just taking a moment and going, you know what, I could have done that better. Having that sort of reflection is healthy. And then connecting with God saying, Lord, help me with this. Or God, forgive me for how I responded here. Or make peace with someone after you make that reflection. The other one is self-adjustments. Once you realize the healthier, humble manner to go in life, make that adjustment. Change that in you as best you can with in cooperation with the Lord. Lord, help me with this area. I'm really struggling. Grant me the grace, the help to do this. The lastly is humility in repentance. And I really enjoy this. This is a passage in James chapter four, verse six through seven. Uh, he says this, James, but he gives, he gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Humility is expressed in repentance, especially when you confess your sins before another. The devil hates it. There is this uh, depiction that I saw of a, it's an artist's depiction of someone confessing before a minister. And it's just a picture, and you see this, this person kneel down, confessing their sins, bringing, exposing it to the light before another, as we're commanded to do, to, to confess our sins one to another. And what that does is it exposes it out to the public. It's not that some secret thing that can be held over us. And in that moment, in this picture, you see a depiction of a demon or the devil, and he's walking away from the person, like angry, kind of sneering backwards. And you can see how angry it is because he exposed, in his humility, that confessor's humility, he exposed his sin to the light. And he knew the devil no longer had hold over him, over that, because it was forgiven. It was beautiful. It reminded me, this, it, it, that passage reminded me of that. You see, humility... Humility in a spiritual sense is both love and war. Love towards, it's love towards God, and it's a weapon of spiritual warfare. When Paul, when James says, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee, in order to submit to God, to surrender the things that we have carrying us to God, it takes humility to do that. Humility is like a magnet. It attracts the grace of God while simultaneously repelling the devil. I have a story to tell about humility. I was hired on as a worship director. It was uh, over a decade ago. And it was, it was down in San Diego and I, was, I just finished auditioning. I was leading worship and then had interviews and all these things. And when I got hired, I was told that the sound guy, the sound engineer didn't particularly like me I guess the first impressions, he wasn't very impressed. Um, something about me, I guess, put him in, in a bad place. I don't really know. I still don't know what it is. Someone just mentioned it to me or I got the vibe. I don't know what it was. And initially it was like, well, I'm his boss now, so I'm going to take care of that. But then I was like, I came to my senses. The Lord really impressed me. No, support him, love him, care for him. And so as his boss, I made it a point to affirm him when he did well, 
to see how I could support him, how I can encourage him. And I always try to speak kindly to him. And I'll tell you what, that, that aspect of God helping me be humble before this person, where I, my first reaction was like, well, I'm going to just, you know, be a boss. That changed everything. That guy, we became close friends. Not only that, like he trusted me and he wanted to do well. And he did well because the Lord used that circumstance of me helping support him and in humility actually helped build that relationship. This is what humility does. It actually brings success to situations, relationships. It brings successes to normal things that we, we have, things in our lives where we have a company or we're in a, in a job setting or just in a relationship or an acquaintance, all of it. It brings such, that type of humble love brings such health and brings, brings such goodness and such fruit in those situations. The second, the second point I want to talk about is the pursuit of selfless love. In Mark chapter 9, verses 35, it says, And he sat down and called the twelve, and he said to them, If anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. There's a willingness we need to have in selfless love. It is about putting our agendas aside and consider the world around us. And I'm not saying don't take care of yourself. The Lord modeled this when he was on earth. He took care of his own physical, mental, and emotional needs, but he always had margin to take a detour, even when he was on, on his way to go do something, to allow himself to be disrupted, to help those that he came across. And that's what the Lord is asking of us. Allow it to be that our agendas can be interrupted, that you give that margin to the Lord to do that, to have those disruptions that we look at as disruptions, but really they're holy invitations. In practice, it's about having a heart and a life of service. And that starts with a willingness to be a servant wherever we are. And that's not easy. That's a struggle for me personally. When I come across different people that are hard to deal with, that's, that's a struggle we have. And we need God's strength, his grace to awaken love in us, to be able to, in those circumstances, respond the way that we would hope to respond the way Christ would want us to. It's a day-to-day -day connection with the Lord, asking for his grace in those circumstances. I was listening to a podcast from Dr. Les Parrott. He's a professor, pastor, author, and he was talking about some seminary students and how they had a project where they were to, to speak, preach a message on reaching the outcast. And they were using, a, I believe it was a, yeah, a story from the Gospels to do so. And what it, what it was talking about was these seminary students were in one building and they had to cross a courtyard to go into the building where they were going to preach the message. And they did, they did this sort of experiment where they actually had someone dress up like a homeless person and they put them in the courtyard. And what, what would happen, the, the results were not surprising, but ironic when you hear what they are and, and sad at the same time. So these students who were going to preach upon reaching the outcast came out of the building, walked right past the outcast into the other building to preach about how to reach the outcast. As you see the irony in that. But I'm sure many of us can resonate with that. When we've crossed someone, maybe we ignored or maybe we didn't maybe show this, the type of 
of love we, we would have hoped when we reflect back on it. That happens with all of us. And there's different reasons for that. Some of it's safety. Some of it we do still give and, and share with those who are outcasts in different ways, in different methods. And that's all understandable. But the point is, our agendas, our agendas, are we so fixed on our agendas that we're not seeing what's around us? And there's simple ways that we can start cultivating that. And I started a, a practice more recently, more fervently, more ritualistically, as we were talking about earlier, about when I wake up, I try to now, the first thing I do is say a quick prayer before I do anything, reaching out to the Lord, before I look at my phone, before I run to the coffee machine, I try to say, Lord, have mercy. Just that, even that, just to start my day and then get up and then pray and then go on with my day as a way to show, Lord, I'm giving you my agenda today. I'm starting with you. That is a simple way that we all can connect with God in that way and bring him into our day to allow him that access into our lives. This can also be done throughout the day, maybe at lunch or maybe right before you go into a meeting or a different circumstance. This is the way we can connect with God and give our agenda to him in a very simple way. We, again, we start small and grow from there. And the more we do that, the more we get into a pattern of giving over our agenda, the more willing we are to take those detours when we need to, the greater that love, that humble, selfless love will be cultivated in us. I wanted to tell you a little story about my grandfather, my grandfather Apostolos. I never knew him. He, he died before I was born. Um, but my mother uh, and my grandmother would tell me stories about him that were incredible, incredible stories. He, my grandfather, he was born in uh, the island of Crete in Greece. And he, he was kind of a rough around the edges guy, sort of a vigilante. Um, he, he was raised in a, in a Christian home, but he really didn't follow the faith. Uh, he would come over to actually to the United States. He'd sneak on, in on a boat, come in and work in Wyoming at a, in the coal, coal mines and go back. And I think he would probably bring the money back to the, the, to Greece. And this is again, this is in the 1920s or thirties when this is happening. And at one of, during one of his trips, he was in Seattle and he went to a Greek coffee house and he, um, was invited by these other Greek Christian folks to come to a Bible study. So he went there and he, he saw these Christians and such saw the joy on their faces, the love that they were expressing to one another in this Bible study. And they invited him and they, they asked him if, they, that if they, he wanted to have a relationship with Christ Jesus. And he responded to the person who said, God doesn't want someone like me. In what I've done in my life. He couldn't love me. And he's like, no, brother, the Lord loves you no matter what, no matter what you've done. And at that point, he invited Christ into his life and started living his faith. And at that moment, he started crying. I don't think he cried for years, this guy. This guy my, my grandfather was a hard man before that. But the presence of God came over him and softened him 
began to cry. And he, be, and he, and from that point on, he started preaching the gospel. You know, at that time you would call him a fire and brimstone preacher, right? He would say something like, like the fire of hell is boiling. So come to Christ. And like, you know, I, that's not probably not the best method, you know, to uh, win people to the Lord, you know, fear, but God uses that, you know, despite the method, he'll use that. And then people will see that it's actually about love, not fear. Um, I was actually talking to a brother in our, in our community about that and talking about how he actually came to Christ through, through that. But then after that, experienced the love of God and um, his, his love for, for him. And that's what my, my grandfather, he loved the Lord so much. And he was doing it because he loved people and he really wanted them to see Christ. Um, but um, he, he lived a life at that point of, of faith for eight years. And he, he wasn't married at the time. He just was, was living life trying to be a, a good, faithful Christian. And around 48 years old, he came to the Lord and, and asked him, Lord, is it your will for me to be married? I mean, talk about a person who's giving up his agenda completely to God. He's not going around looking to date anyone. He's literally going, Lord, do you want me to get married? If you do, great. If not, then I'll keep as I am. Amazing. And this is what happened. So he, he says this to the Lord, and then he has a dream right after that. And in his dream, the Lord says, this is your wife. And he sees a picture of this woman in his dream. And he says, Lord, where, is she, where do I find her? And the Lord said, go to your hometown in Crete. And so my grandfather gets his dream. Amazing. And he, and he goes, first he goes to, um, to Athens, which is the capital of Greece. And he just assumes that this, this woman's going to have the same sort of relationship he has with God and the same sort of um, Christian tradition. I think he, so he was more of an, a Pentecostal, a Greek Pentecostal, right? And so he went to like, I, I believe a Pentecostal church in, in Athens. And they basically, and he was telling the pastor that, yeah, hey, I, uh, I had this dream and looking the Lord showed me that I'm supposed to marry um, this woman. And so he's like, well, here are the, the people at our church that might be good. And he's like, no, that's, that's, those are the people I saw in my dream. And from there, he, he remembered the Lord said, go to your hometown in Crete. So he goes down to the island of Crete uh, and in the Hanya district. And he was in a coffee shop and just drinking coffee. And someone comes up to him and his name was Dimitri. And he said, and he started talking with my grandfather and invited him to his house. And so, and this is very common in Greece. They're very known for their hospitality. And, and so he, he, he went with Dimitri to his house and who should he see was my grandmother, Maria. But here's the issue. She was 20 years younger. So she was 28. He was 48. She was engaged to be married. And at that time there was a dowry. Um, this, this other, this other man gave, uh, financial gifts to, uh, to her father. And my, my grandfather was like beside himself, like, and she also didn't have the same type of relationship with, with Christ that she, he was hoping for. And so there's, there's this aspect that he's really wrestling. He didn't know what to do. And on my grandmother's side, as my grandmother would, would tell it, she said she was in a place of desperation because even though she was engaged to be married, she knew that the person that she was to marry didn't love him because he was going around flirting and being unfaithful is what it, from what I recall, that was the, the telling of the story growing up. And, and she was so desperate about the situation that she called out to God and said, Lord, I would marry a monkey if he loved me. And so as it, the story goes, my grandfather prayed to the Lord and said, Lord, if this is 
the woman, because clearly she's the person in my dream, I need a sign. So I'm going to talk to her about you and having a relationship with you. And if she accepts that, and then when you, if you fill her with your presence and she starts speaking in another language, then I'll know that she's the one. And what I'm talking about here is the gift of tongues. Paul actually talks about this in this chapter. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, he says, if I speak in the tongues of, of men and angels and I have not love, I'm just a resounding sound as symbol, crashing, making noise, basically. And this is the gift that he's talking about. And this is very common in the early church. And, and as a, a one who is from the Pentecostal tradition, my grandfather was familiar with this gift and my grandmother was not at all. Didn't know what anything about it, clueless about any of that stuff. And so that was a, a tall order for, to confirm such, such a, uh, a vision from the Lord. So as, as it would have it, he would go, he would spend, he spent like three days at that on their property, he'd go outside the garden and he would pray. He would cry and he would pray to the Lord and my grandmother would watch him. And she would ask him, come up to him and what are you doing? You know, he's like, I'm praying. He's like, oh man, I, I would love to have a relationship like you do with God like that. And they would talk and talk. And, and after three days, she, um, she was, they were having a conversation and she invited her to receive Christ into her life. And and, and, and from my grandmother's telling, this is what happened. She said, I, I asked Christ into my life. And as soon as I did, I felt like I was three feet off the ground. And the presence of God came on me and I started speaking in another language. I didn't know what was going on. And at that moment, after that happened, my grandfather said, told her this whole story, the dream, everything. And she said, yes, I'll marry you. And they basically like fled because the... The fiance wanted to, you know, kill, kill my, my grandfather and they, they live and eventually moved to the United States. But all this to say that my grandfather was a man who released his agenda completely to God. That's how much he did. What a model for me to know that he's got everything in control. And maybe some of you are out there hearing this story and like, this is incredible. And it is because God is incredible and he loves you and he wants you to invite him into your life to taste and see the Lord is good. What do you have to lose? If you don't know him, ask him, come into my life, Lord, like, like you did for Pastor Stephen's grandparents and what you did. I want that. Maybe this is the moment right now to release your agenda, your life to him. He will, he loves you. He wants to be in your life. He wants you to live healthy, love to live a good life in this life and be with him in the future. I'm going to continue on to the next point, and that's the pursuit of wealthy love. And wealthy love is expressed in two ways. It's both material and immaterial. It's not just about giving money or giving things. It's about giving our love to others. When, was, when one is walking in a manner of wealthy love, it's, it's not about pursuing their own. It's, it's about being generous with their love and generous, and generous with their means. It, it matters not the level of material wealth, but the wealth of love that is in the human heart that ultimately comes from God who is love. And this can be expressed both in physical, emotional, and spiritual ways. Practicing this type of love is, is typically simple in the expressed action, but can be extremely difficult in practice. 
We have to get through a lot of hurdles in our mind, maybe to be charitable in certain circumstances. That's where the battle is with generous love. And some of it is just fears we're wrestling with. Maybe it's fears for our finances, fears of hurt, fears of rejection, and the list goes on. Those fears may be present because of things we've experienced, hurt in our life, our upbringing, or other things we've seen or heard. To be wealthy and generous with our love often means we have to jump through mental and emotional hurdles to actually provide this kind of generous love to others. But that said, the question remains, how, how do we start? Again, I'm going to say it a third time, begin small and grow from there. Begin to give. Give of our time, listening to those around you, being willing to give counsel, care. Don't be afraid to share your gifts, share your talents, those things that you're good at that can help others in the church, those around you, your neighbors. Also our treasure, our means, giving from our own means to those in need to support his church, to support those around you, to love as Christ loved. These are expressions of generous love. And we do this out of a place of love, not out of a place of obligation. It's not so much about the amount of giving as much as it's the heart behind it. It's not a to-do list or an obligation. It's, a, it's an expression of love and gratitude and surrender to God. I wanted to read um, from, from Proverbs 3, chapter 1 through 10. It's the English translation from the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament. I love the way it renders the life benefits of a generous heart and the promises behind that love attribute. It reads as follows. My son, and by extension daughters, do not forget my laws, but let your heart keep my words. For length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Do not let almsgiving and faithfulness forsake you, but hang them upon your neck and you will find grace and provide good things before the Lord and men. Trust in God with all your heart and do not exalt your own wisdom. In all your ways, know wisdom that she may cut a straight path for you and your foot will not stumble. Do not rely on your own discernment, but fear God and turn away from every evil. Then there shall be healing for your body and care for your bones. Honor the Lord from your righteous labors and offer him the first fruits. Offer him the first fruits from the fruits of your righteousness, that your storehouses may be filled with abundance of grain and your wine presses may gush with wine. What a beautiful promise that is when you have a generous heart, when you show generous love, wealthy love. It's beautiful. The pursuit of healthy love is not easy love. Pursuing healthy love requires our activity in concert with the power of God working through his Holy Spirit in us to awaken love. This is the love God has called us to. The love that, shows, that was showed when Christ emptied himself for us. Paul sums up this ultimate love message in Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, when he wrote, so if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. 
Do nothing from selfish ambition or, or conceit, but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this in mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God, the father. Amen. Oh God, our Father, we praise you. We give you thanks for your love, your relentless, your extravagant, your amazing love that you modeled for us to then therefore model to the world. We know we can't do it on our own. We can take the little simple steps, the little choices we make through life, through the day to start patterns of healthy love, but it only goes so far and we need your Holy Spirit to awaken love in us, to awaken the kind of love that brings life to the world as you showed us when you came and lived your life to save the world. We love you. God, I love you. We love you. We want to live a life of love for you. Lord, help us, help us in this. And for those who who do not even know what we're talking about, this kind of love, or even know you, I pray for them. And I pray, Lord, that they would receive you, taste and see that you are good, that they would experience your love, taste and see your love and how good it is, that they may live a life of healthy love in their lives. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. <laughs> Thank you.
Lord, awaken your love in us. Sometimes it's there, it's just dormant, <laughs> and it, it needs to be stirred again. Stir our hearts, awaken our love. You know, my prayer for all of you is that you would live as one loved, a beloved son, a beloved daughter. That's who we are in Christ. And when we understand that, when we ground our identity there, everything else will fall into its natural place. It's kind of like what Jesus taught us, seek first the kingdom of God and what is right in his eyes and all these other things shall be added to you. May you be kept in his love, kept from fear, kept from anxiety, centered in hope, filled with grace. Yeah, that's my prayer for you and myself too. May the Lord be your guide and light your way. Fill you with his love every day in Jesus' name.